Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you it is a word that speaks the truth for us today. Help me as I speak now to be faithful to it and open all of our hearts to hear what you're saying by the power of your spirit. Amen. Well, what, um, what do words mean? Big question, isn't it? Um, hopefully, what the... Rose will be on for me. Thank you. Brexit. What does Brexit mean? That's a big question, isn't it? Um, I, I mean, you're probably bored of hearing about COVID, and you look back with fondness to um, the years before COVID when there was nothing in the news but Brexit. And, of course, 2016, Brexit um, was voted for. Theresa May became Prime Minister, and she had this great slogan, Brexit means Brexit, except no one could really agree what Brexit really meant. There are all kinds of different types of Brexit around. Some people wanted a Brexit that was, um, we'll leave the European Union, but let's keep as many ties and trade deals as possible with the European Union. Um, others said, that's not really Brexit, that's only halfway. We want to go the full way, we want a complete Brexit, a total break with the European Union. And there was this debate that went on forever and ever. Um, what did Brexit mean, the different types of Brexit that were around? Well, you would be pleased to know that in a sermon today, I don't want to talk about Brexit. <laughs> but I want to talk about a word that's really important for Christians. And it's the word faith. What does faith mean? Are there different types of faith? Faith is really important. It's a much more positive word than Brexit, isn't it? Um, Brexit, if you like, is about leaving something. It's about breaking a relationship. Faith is about being reconciled to God. It's about coming into a relationship with God, a, a life-giving, wonderful, glorious relationship. But are there different types of faith? What does faith really mean? Have you got the type of faith that God wants? Or is it only a kind of halfway there type of faith? Well, faith is really important in John's Gospel. Um, actually, if you go right to the end of John's Gospel, he tells you why he's written it. Um, John chapter 20, verse 31, he says, I've written these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in his name you may have eternal life. In other words, he's written it so that you might have faith in Jesus. That's what the whole Gospel's about. That's what he wants to achieve. He wants you to have faith. But actually, as you go through the gospel, um, John gives us lots of um, encounters of different kinds of people with Jesus himself. And he recalls the conversations. And a lot of it is exploring the different kinds and types of faith or non-faith that the people have in Jesus. So this um, passage we read today is in chapter 4. In, in the previous chapters, we first of all, in chapter 1, have seen the disciples come to Jesus, been pointed to Jesus by John the Baptist, and they've come and they started following him. And then they come to Cana in Galilee. And in Cana in Galilee, they um, see Jesus do an amazing miracle. He turns loads of water into wine to keep the party going. Which is a great miracle to start a gospel with, isn't it? Um, Jesus is a parting one. And it says at the end of that, having seen him do this sign, they believe in him. The disciples come to a deeper faith, a real faith in him. And then in chapter 2, um, we're told that Jesus goes to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem he does one, one amazing miracles and signs. But at the end of the chapter, it says this. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. That sounds really positive, doesn't it? They're believing as well. 
But then he says this, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. In other words, there was something about their faith seeing his signs that wasn't quite there, wasn't deep, wasn't secure. And perhaps Nicodemus in chapter 3 is the person that most represents this. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He's, a, he's a, an expert in the law. He's a, a very high up, important Pharisee. And he comes to him and he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for one who could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with you. In other words, Nicodemus sees the signs and he believes that Jesus must be a person from God. And yet what does Jesus say to him? That's not enough, Nicodemus. You need to be born again. You need a different kind of faith. That's in Jerusalem. Jesus then moves on from Jerusalem, goes to Samaria in chapter 4. And in Samaria, he comes across this woman at the well. You may remember the story. And the woman at the well is a slightly dodgy character. She's got an interesting sexual relationship history. She's a bit of an outcast. And yet Jesus talks to her and offers her living water, life. And she goes to the people in her village, and they hear Jesus' words. They don't see any signs. They don't see any miracles. And yet it says at the end of chapter 4, or just before our passage, they come to believe that Jesus is the saviour of the world. These Samaritans, these non-Jews, these, these outsiders, are somehow believing in a way that people in Jerusalem are not believing. And then we come to our passage um, back in Cana in Galilee. Um, it's a kind of bringing us back to where we started in the beginning of chapter 2. Uh, and it sort of almost forms a bit of a conclusion to the first part of John's Gospel. And now the story is quite similar. Jesus is in Cana. He does an amazing miracle. Um, and there's belief involved. And yet it starts off with those questions about what kind of faith. The people of Galilee welcome Jesus back from Jerusalem because they've seen him do the signs and the miracles in Jerusalem. But like the people in Jerusalem, there's a hint that Jesus doesn't really think they're quite there with faith. It says in verse 44, Jesus himself pointed out that the prophet was, has no honour in his own country. There's something not quite right going on here. And it's in this context, people welcoming Jesus back, and believing in his miracles, rejoicing in his miracles, that we have the story of the royal official coming to Jesus um, from Capernaum. As we look at this story, I think that John's trying to show us three stages or three kinds of faith that this royal official goes through. And the first stage, I think, is this. It's a kind of 999 faith. What do I mean by that? Well, you probably don't spend a lot of your time thinking about the emergency services, the fire, fire service, the ambulance service, and the police service. So you, you try not to think about them too much. They're not the main focus of your lives. But you know they're there, and you know that if you're in trouble, you can dial 99 and they'll come and, come and help you, at least you hope. Well, I think in a way, that's the sort of faith that the people of Galilee had in Jesus. They'd seen the miracles. They were focused on the miracles. They were focused on the signs, and they sort of knew they're in trouble, Jesus could help them out. That's what he was there for. Someone's ill, go to Jesus, he'll sort it out. Someone's possessed with demons, go to Jesus, he'll sort it out. And they kept coming to Jesus with all the people that are ill and so on. And this royal official is someone in that boat, isn't he? he he's, he's heard that Jesus has come back to, to Galilee, he's heard that people are saying he does amazing miracles, he can help you out, and he's got a real emergency. His son 
is seriously, seriously ill. He's on the point of death. And so the man sets off from Capernaum um, for a 14-mile trek. Um, probably sets off early in the day um, to get to Cana by lunchtime to see Jesus. Like walking from here to St. Nicholas at Wade or something. And he gets there to Jesus, and he comes to Jesus, and he begs him, Jesus, come to Capernaum to heal my son. And you can probably feel the, 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 the desperation, the plea in this man's heart. And what does Jesus say? In a way, his words are quite shocking. He says this, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Is that a loving, caring, compassionate response? On the surface, it doesn't look like it, does it? What's, what's Jesus doing here? Doesn't he care that this man is desperately concerned about his son? Doesn't he care about the son's health? Doesn't, doesn't he care about the real need that this person is bringing? What, why is he talking about faith at this point? Well, as the story goes on, we see that Jesus does indeed care about the man and care about his need and care about his son. But Jesus also cares about his faith. He doesn't want this man to be stuck like everyone else in Galilee with just a sort of kind of 999 faith. He wants to move him on. And he's saying, look, you people, in the Greek it's a plural, that's why they say you people. You, you people in, in Galilee, you just, just have this kind of 999 faith. You want to see signs all the time. You're not really trusting in me. And the man responds, because he obviously cares about his son, says, look, Jesus, just, just please come, come. My son's on the point of death. Please come. He listens to the man. He listens to Jesus, but wants to move on. But are we hearing Jesus? Are we people that just have a kind of 999 faith? Jesus is there to help us when we need. We'll praise him when we need, but the rest of our lives will go on as though he doesn't matter. And to ask ourselves that question. And then when Jesus does respond, he says to the man, go, your son will be well. And suddenly this man is faced with this challenge to take Jesus at his word. To believe what Jesus is saying without seeing anything to suggest that what he's saying is true. He's called to have faith without sight. Jesus says, you'll only believe if you see signs. And now he saw the saying to this man, believe, your son will be well. But you need to believe without seeing the sign. I wonder how you would feel about that, having to, to leave Jesus and go home not knowing whether what Jesus has said is really true. Sort of thinking, or oh, maybe I should have pushed Jesus harder, maybe I should have pressurized him and dragged him along to Capernaum to make him heal my son. But it says the man believed what Jesus said. He trusted his word. He trusted without seeing a miraculous sign. At the end of John's Gospel, there's a more famous story of um, Doubting Thomas. What does Doubting Thomas do? He hears from the other disciples that Jesus has come back from the dead. He is alive. He's resurrected. But he refuses to believe. He says, unless I see him myself, unless I touch him myself, unless I put my hands inside myself, I will not believe. And then the following Sunday, Jesus appears to him and says, Thomas, touch, see. I'm real. I'm alive again. 
Stop doubting and believe. And then he says to Thomas, almost the last words in the main part of the gospel, blessed are those who believe without seeing. Now, some of you may have experienced God answer prayers in amazing ways, and that maybe has brought you to faith. But for many of us, we need to hear the gospel and believe the gospel without necessarily seeing God do something miraculous or amazing. Just as man had to believe Jesus and take him at his word, we need to take the gospel, the, the, the good news that Jesus did die, did rise again, and can give us eternal life, it can give us forgiveness. We need to take that word and believe it without necessarily seeing any proof of God doing something miraculous in our lives. But trusting that he will do something even more amazing. He will give us eternal life. He has made us his children. We need to have faith without sight. And so this man does that. He takes that step. He believes Jesus. He takes him in his word and goes back the following day to um, Capernaum. And when he's on his way, um, the people meet him. His servants meet him and they say to him, Master, your, serv- your son is well. He's been made well again. He's healthy. It's fantastic news. And you might expect the man to sort of think, wow, great, everything's sorted out. It's all okay now. Let's just go home and, and be with my son. But because of what Jesus has said to him, because of those challenging words, the man doesn't just do that, does he? When the servants come to him and tell him the good news, he says to them, what time? He wants to know, what time did the boy get better? Why? Why does that matter? Because he wants to know if what Jesus said was really true. He wants to know if Jesus is really the person you can trust. And the servants say to him, well, at the seventh hour or one o'clock in the morning, not one o'clock in the morning, one o'clock in the afternoon, Man knows that was the exact moment that Jesus said, Go, your son will be well. And what does it say then? It says at the end of verse 53, so he and his whole household believed. Now, what does it mean by that? Because, because in a sense, this man has already believed, doesn't he? In a sense, this man already had faith. The reason he went to Jesus in the first place is because he had faith, that sort of 999 faith, that faith that Jesus could do something to heal his son. Um, uh, what, the reason he went when Jesus told him to go and, and um, know that his son was well is because he, took, he had faith in Jesus' word. There's another step of faith. But now it says, now he has faith. Now this is another kind of faith. This is a different kind of faith. This is a more powerful kind of faith. This is a faith not in Jesus' word alone, not in just that Jesus can do amazing things, but somehow faith in Jesus himself. A kind of identification with Jesus. A kind of, I want Jesus to be at the center of my life, to be my Lord, to be my Savior. I trust him not just to sort out this problem in my life, but to actually deal with the whole of my life. This is the kind of faith that Jesus wants from us. This is the kind of faith that brings eternal life. This is the kind of faith that Jesus longs that we all have. There's an interesting um, speculation we can have about this, because in Luke's Gospel, it tells us um, in chapter 8, verse 3, that there were some women that followed Jesus around in his ministry and supported him and helped him out. And one of them was, was a wife of 
a guy called Chusa, um, who was um, the head of Herod's household, in other words, a royal official. And it could be that Chusa was this royal official that John mentions. Or it could be that this, this, this Chusa knew the royal official, and the reason his wife was so keen to support Jesus because she knew what happened and, and had come to faith herself through, these, through the royal official in John 4. And, and there's another story in Acts chapter 13, verse 1, where we're told about the people who are leaders in the church in Antioch. And there's a guy called Manaean. And um, Manaean, we're told, was um, a childhood friend of Herod's, the king in, in Galilee at the time of Jesus. And again, it, may, maybe, it could possibly be that Manaean was the royal official mentioned in John 4, or that Manaean somehow came to faith because of what happened here. That's all speculation. We'd love to know, don't we? We've only got hints here and there. But, but clearly, there were people in the, in the royal household who did come to a real faith in Jesus that, that lasted and made a difference to them. Could it all have started with this story? Jesus' words seemed harsh when they first responded. But Jesus was concerned to push this man to have a real faith. Not a halfway house kind of faith, not just a 999 kind of faith, but a deep and real faith in him. Because Jesus wanted to, yes, heal his son, but he wanted to give him far, far more. Is your faith the kind of faith that grasps actually all of what Jesus wants to give to you? Or are you just happy to get snippets of what you think you want in this life? And if you have that kind of faith, the faith that really grasps all that Jesus wants to give to you, are you seeking like Jesus to help others come to that deeper kind of faith? Prompting and challenging them just at the right moments to think actually there's more that Jesus can give you. There's more that he can offer. When you pray for people, yes, pray for people, pray for their needs, but but also let's point them to a deeper, the deeper gifts, the deeper blessings that Jesus can give. What kind of faith do you have? We're going to turn to prayer now. And um, as, I, as I pray, can I invite the music group to maybe come to the front and get ready for our, our next hymn? Father, we thank you for this story. We pray that you would help us to have not just a halfway house kind of faith, not just a 999 faith, not just a trust that you would do certain things for us, but, but a real faith in who you are and what you can give us for the whole of our lives, both now and forevermore, that we may identify truly as your people. In your name. Amen.